Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow and enjoy the episode. So we're looking at the Gospel of John. And the wonderful thing about this Gospel is that there are a number of sevens that come through in this Gospel. There are seven recorded miracles in the Gospel of John. There are seven people who had face-to-face encounters with Jesus. There are seven witnesses who testified to the divinity of Jesus, that he is the Son of God. And then, of course, there are these seven self-descriptions that Jesus gives, the great I Ams, as we read in John. And there are seven of those. And so over the last two weeks, we've looked at, and I was here two Sundays ago, where I spoke about Jesus being the, the bread of life from John chapter 6. It's probably up there, hey, so it will come up there. Um, so you don't have to guess too much in case you forgot what I said two weeks ago. And then last week, uh, Gordon Meehan was here, and he spoke about Jesus being the light of the world. And so this morning now, as Kerry and Mitch have already said, we're going to be looking at Jesus, the gate for the sheep or the door of the sheep, depending which translation you use. But they, in essence, saying the same thing. And so rather than jump straight into chapter 10, in fact, we can't do it. We've got to go back to chapter 9. Because chapter 9 is all about Jesus healing a man who was born blind. And it's into that context that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And as we heard from the reading, the Pharisees then investigate this healing, concluding that actually it cannot be of God. Why? Because it was done on the Sabbath. And they end up throwing the man out of the temple or out of the synagogue, sorry. Now compare that to what Jesus says and does in John chapter 6, verse 37, when he says, all who come to the Father, sorry, all whom the Father gives me will come to me. And the person who comes to me, I will never drive away. I will never cast out. I will never throw away or throw out. What a comparison, hey? between these so-called religious leaders of Israel and Jesus, our greatest uh, um, leader. Quite a contrast, eh? Do you see it? Quite happy to throw the man out where Jesus just a few chapters earlier says, I'll never throw anyone out. All those who come to me have come because the Father has allowed that. All right. So we pick up the story in John chapter 9. And uh, we're going to read from verse 35. So I do encourage you. I see some of you do have your Bibles or tablets or phones out. So that's good. Read with me because we're going to read it, make a few comments along the way. Then I've got four points that I want to share with you about Jesus being the gate. And then hopefully we've received what God or some of what God has for us this morning. Okay. So as you'll see in my Bible, it's entitled a spiritual blindness. And uh, Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. Now, you know the context. This was the guy who Jesus healed. And when he found him, that's Jesus. When Jesus found him, he said to him, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The amazing thing is this man not only received his physical sight, but he also received spiritual sight. 
as he believed in Jesus, not just as his savior, but now worshiped him as his Lord. It can be a big difference there as well, hey? I think many Christians are quite happy to receive Jesus as savior of their souls, but not always that willing to worship him as Lord of all, as the Lord of their lives. And he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Hey? He's either enthroned and on the throne of your life or he's not. And this man received just not just physical sight, as I said, but spiritual insight as to Jesus being the one who saves him for all eternity, but also the one whom he can worship, who's now his Lord and Lord of all. And Jesus said, for judgment, I've come into this world so that the blind will see. And he was both physically and spiritually blind, but he's now able to physically see and spiritually see. And those who see will become blind. Who do you think he was referring to there? The Pharisees. And some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind to? <laughs> no truer word said, eh? but they couldn't see it. Excuse the pun. <laughs> Even though they had physical eyes, they couldn't see it. And Jesus said, if you were blind, in other words, if you were ignorant but receptive, like this blind man who had been healed, well, then you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you see, your guilt remains. And so because they couldn't see their spiritual blindness, because they wouldn't receive Jesus as the Messiah, they remained in sin. They continued in their guilt to use Jesus's words. Now we move into chapter 10. But note, there's no break here. I know there's a break in your Bible, but actually there shouldn't be a break here. It's one flow because he's still speaking to the Pharisees, to Israel's spiritual leaders. And so we're going to read the first 18 verses as Kerry had already done. But we're going to divide it into three parts. Firstly, verses, chapter, uh, verses 1 through to 6, then from 7 through to 10, and then 11 through to 18. Okay. So let's go. Verse 1, chapter 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, in other words, does not enter by the lawful method of entry or according to God's will or God's call on these leaders, but climbs in by some other way, is a what? A thief. A thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper, and it's not that important who that gatekeeper is, but the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, you have to understand that the sheep pen included a whole lot of different owned sheep. It wasn't only one shepherd or one owner's sheep in that sheep pen, but there were a variety. They would come together at night for, for safety and for protection. 
But the difference here is that when he has brought, the shepherd has brought out his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him, from the stranger, because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Now, it's amazing. Jesus tests these Pharisees again with what John refers to as a figure of speech, a kind of parable or a word picture which included a number of things you would have seen in the passage. Things like a sheep pen, sheep, shepherd, a gate, sheep, gatekeeper, or watchman, some translations say, and a stranger. Now, it's interesting to note that Jesus doesn't identify himself with any of these, but he leaves it up to the Pharisees and us to work out. What's what yeah? But what we do know is, is that these Pharisees got their positions of leadership without the blessing of the gatekeeper. That we do know. Let's keep reading. Verse 7 through to 10. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, here's the key verse, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are are thieves and robbers. In other words, he's saying they came as self-appointed leaders. They came as those who who claimed to give what only Jesus could give. Many of those in the past. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. If you notice the NIV in the footnote has, will also, those who come, it says, will be kept safe. One and the same. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Beautiful, eh? So who is the thief here? Who or what is Jesus referring to? Well, can I say in this context, it's not Satan, as is the popular belief. Satan is certainly a thief, just as he is a liar, as a deceiver, an accuser, and everything else. But in the context, Jesus isn't referring to Satan, as many people quote. He's actually referring to, as we've seen, the Pharisees, the shepherds of Israel except that they are not shepherds at all. They are the stranger that we read about in verse 5. They are the spiritual thieves robbing God's people of spiritual blessings. That's who he's speaking about here. And the Pharisees have come in illegitimately. They haven't come through the gatekeeper, but they rather they've climbed the wall of the sheep pen to not only gain access to the pen, but to gain access to the allegiance of God's people. They have no call from God. They are ignorant of God. They are not feeding God's people. If anything, they're taking advantage of God's people. They're exploiting them. How different to the true shepherd Jesus 
who hasn't come to rob or to kill or to destroy, but has come to give life in all of its fullness. What a difference. Then we're going to read the rest of the passage from verse 11 through to 18. But let me say Dave is going to be dealing with this next week. But it is part of this discourse, so I do want to read it. But I'm not going to make too many comments on it. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Now, Dave, as I said, is going to unpack this thing of Jesus being the good shepherd. But if we look at those, I think that whole passage, I think we can sum it up into three parts as is up on the screen. Verse one to six is about Jesus gathering a flock for himself from the Jewish fold. Verse seven to 10, Jesus is explaining why he is gathering this flock. And the reason is to give them life and life in all its fullness. And then verse 11 to 18, he is explaining how he is gathering and giving life to this flock by laying down his life and taking it up again as the good shepherd. Did you see that? All right. So when Jesus declares, I am the gate for the sheep, what is he actually declaring? Well, I think there are four things that he's declaring here. And that's what I want to, sh- the next few minutes, talk about. Number one, he was declaring exclusivity. In other words, he is saying he is the only way, the only access, the only gate the only door to entering into a relationship with Father God, including eternal life. Only in and through Jesus. Let me remind you, Jesus is not one of the ways to God. Jesus is not a gate amongst many gates. No, he is the exclusive gate. And that's why he says, whoever enters through me will be saved. Not through anything else, not through anyone else, but only through Jesus. Peter says the same in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, when he's preaching. And he says, salvation is found in no one else. No one else or no other thing. May I add that in? Because so often people think it's by things we do that we get saved. Peter's saying, no, salvation is found in no one, in nothing else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And his name is Jesus. 
And so just as all roads do not lead to Rome, may I say all religions do not lead to God. I know you know that. But I think it's important to be reminded of that. There is only one way to God. One person. And his name is Jesus. The gate for the sheep of this world. William Temple, he was a one-time Archbishop of Canterbury, said these words, Christianity is, I am persuaded, a profoundly intolerant religion. Now, that may sound a little jarring, and it may not sound particularly politically correct. eh? But let me say it again. He said, Christianity is, I am persuaded, a profoundly intolerant religion. Now, of course, not intolerant of people, but intolerant of error. And so we love people enough to point out their error. Yes, and we do it with humility, and we do it with sensitivity, and yes, we do it still respecting them and even their convictions without agreeing with it. That's what he means. And so if Christianity is unique, and if Christianity is exclusive, then can I say so too is Jesus when it comes to entering into a relationship with the Father? Because he alone opens the way for us. But here's the thing, we still have to go through the gate. We still have to take that step to enter in. We cannot just sit on the fence. We cannot watch from outside the sheep pen. We have to enter in through Jesus, the only way to the Father. And that's why when Jesus said, I am the gate, he was declaring exclusivity. There was only one way, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. The second thing that Jesus was declaring was protection. In verse 9, we read that. He says, whoever enters through me will be kept safe. Now, in many ways, a shepherd acted as a gate not only letting the sheep in and out of the sheep pen, but also protecting those sheep from wolves, protecting them from thieves who would try and get into the pen and either steal the sheep or kill the sheep, depending if they were thieves or wolves. That was the role of the shepherd. Well, can I say in the same way, Jesus, our good shepherd, keeps us safe from every enemy that would want to rob us, kill us, destroy us, including the greatest enemy of all, death. Jesus is our protection. But here's the thing. Jesus not only protects and preserves us for all eternity, but he also promises to be our protection and to be our safeguard while we're here on earth. While you sit here this morning, when you go out to work tomorrow or home after this meeting. He is your protection. And I just love the many scriptures that talk about Jesus as our protection. Too many to quote all of them by a long shot. But I pulled a few out. 
Psalm 32, verse 7, the psalmist saying, You, speaking of God, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. The same God who did it for him then is the same God who does it for us now. Psalm 91, 14, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. And friends, even if some bad things may still happen to you and you say, well, that doesn't sound like God protected me. Well, you'll never know the fullness of that protection or you may only know the fullness of that protection when you stand before him one day and he shows you a video of your life and how it could have been or how it might have turned out, but for his blessing and his protection and him keeping you safe. Doesn't mean bad things won't happen to godly people. We live in a fallen world. I understand that. But the hope and the confidence I have is that my God hems me in with his protection. Doesn't mean I'm not going to die one day. Every man is destined, born at a certain time and destined to die, to be going to be with Jesus. But while I'm on this earth, I look to him as my security, as my protection, as the one who holds me in the palm of his hand and has promised that nothing and no one can snatch me out of his hand. Come on, that should stir up some like, come on, preach it. Yeah, I believe it. Unless you don't believe it. Listen to this one, Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And let me say, if the righteous do not run to it, how will they ever be kept safe in that sense? God gives us an option. He says, come, draw near to me. And I'll draw near to you and I'll be your protection and I'll be your covering. But we've got to run, friends. Not from him, to him. And I know how easy it can be when things happen in your life to do what Adam and Eve did in the garden is where they withdrew from God. They ran away from God. But you know, God is so gracious, so kind. Like he walked in the, in the cool of the day saying, Adam, where are you? So God says the same to us. James, where are you? Angus, where are you? Don't allow the trials and the challenges and the difficulties cause you to run from God. Oh, run to him because he is a fortified tower. And it's in that place you're safe. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one, from the author of trouble, from the author of pain from the author of disappointment, from the author of destruction, the devil, God says he'll protect us. And so our good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for the sheep, protects us and he offers us access to safety and security, both now and forevermore. Isn't that awesome? The third thing that Jesus was declaring was not just exclusivity. It wasn't just protection, but also provision. 
verse 9, they will come in and go out and find pasture. In other words, they will find spiritual nourishment and sustenance. They will find what they need to live the life that God's called them to live. Now, historians will tell us that when sheep return to the fold at night after a day out grazing, they would say the shepherd would stand at the doorway of the pen to inspect the sheep as they came in. And if a sheep was scratched or if it was injured, maybe by a thorn or some branches or even a bite of a wolf or they had taken a fall or whatever it may be, the shepherd would stand there and then would anoint that sheep with oil to enable and facilitate the healing of the sheep. And in the same way, if the sheep arrived back at the fold thirsty, the shepherd would give it something to drink and would in fact give it everything it needed, not just to survive, not just to get through or get by, but everything it needed to thrive and to flourish and to be the best possible sheepy in the flock. That was the heart of the shepherd. And sheep were valuable to the shepherd. So valuable that he would leave 99 and go after one. He valued these sheep. Just as God values you this morning. And, off, and, and uh, after all the sheep had been accounted for, we're told that the shepherd would then lay down across the doorway so that no intruder, whether it was a man or a beast, would be able to enter without his knowledge. And so in many ways, the shepherd became the door, the door to the pen, which is exactly what Jesus talks about. And then in the morning, the shepherd would lead them out again to green pastures, to quiet waters, where their sheep would lack for nothing. Well, as true as that was of a Middle Eastern shepherd in Jesus' day and age, can I tell you, in the same way the shepherd of our souls cares for us and provides for us everything we need. Not everything we want. <laughs> would be nice, eh? But he doesn't work because he knows some things that we want are not good for us. But he does say he'll provide us with everything we need. And David knew that firsthand. Eh? I love, we all love Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be in want. Because he's my shepherd, I will lack for nothing. That's what he says. And can I remind you, it's not only physical and emotional needs that he provides for, but it's also spiritual nourishment that he offers and provides for us. This deep soul satisfaction that he gives to us. Now, Ezekiel chapter 34 is a prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. But it's not only a prophecy against them. It, for me, it's a comparison between them and the one true shepherd, the Lord himself. And so let me pull out a few verses here. You can or you don't have to turn there, but Ezekiel 34, and I'm just going to read from verse 11 through to 16. 
For this is what the sovereign Lord says. Now he's speaking of himself. I myself will search for the sheep and look after them. Please hear that this morning. The shepherd of your soul is looking after you. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. Even when we scatter, I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. Maybe a day of storms, darkness, sin. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I'll bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and all the settlements of the land. I will tend them in a good pasture. And the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. Now, isn't that a wonderful picture of God's care for you and I? And not just his care, but his provision for us who are his people. It's beautiful, eh? And then fourthly, he was and he is declaring life. And not just life, but abundant life. Fullness of life. That's what he says here, verse 10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or as the Amplified says, to have it overflowing. Or till it overflows. And so as awesome as God's protection is, as wonderful as his provision is, the truth is none of us want to merely exist, do we? We don't want to just exist through life. Or maybe I'll speak for myself. I don't want to just merely exist. I want to live. Truly live. And I hope it's true for you as well, eh? Because the life that Jesus offers to us is so that we can live and really live. Live life to the fullest as we live for his honor and for his glory. And I say that because life is not just about survival. You don't want to just be hanging in there, either waiting for Jesus to return or you to go home to be with him, kind of white knuckled, just trying to get by. That's not the life he's called you to live. No. Rather than surviving, he wants us thriving at every level. Delighted to be alive every day. Waking up every morning saying, God, what an opportunity again to serve your purposes this day. Show me how. Show me who you want me to meet today, minister today, reach out to today, love on today. Friends, that's life. That's living. Not living for ourselves. Not living to store up treasures for ourselves here on earth. But living for eternity, for that which counts most. 
and how we live our lives here on earth will determine whether we're storing up treasures for ourselves here where moth and rust will eat it away and destroy it or whether we're storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven where there is no rusting, no moths, no thieves can take it from us. This life that Jesus talks about, or what he refers to, he refers to it as abundant life, overflowing life, deep life, rich life, weighty life, a joyful life. And so we could go on with all the different superlatives that speak about the life he's come to give us. It's not a surviving. Friends, it's a thriving. And we can thrive in the life and the power of the Holy Spirit who gives us everything we need for life, for godliness, and to live a life that counts for him here on earth. Come on, you've got to get excited about that. Eh? Friends, this is what we've been made for. And this is what Jesus has come to give us. Life, provision, protection, and himself. He's come to give it. He's come to release it so that we can walk in it and live in the full value of that which he offers to us. Come, Janine. Um, just for a few weeks, I've been feeling um, that God has for us to walk and draw closer to him. And um, I just said to Mark the other day, I'm not quite sure if it fits in, but I just had put down a few things. Um, my encouragement was that we take like a physical step, maybe a little step, a little something. It's a, an act of choice of walk, drawing closer to him. Um, maybe we need to draw closer to him because we can always draw closer to God. We, you know, there's always room for us to draw closer. Um, another reason I thought of was if you don't know God, today is a good day to draw closer to him, um, to speak to somebody here or speak to a friend and say, how do I do this? How do I outwalk this walk with Jesus? Um, one Another aspect I felt was that just a step of trust, that maybe some of us are struggling to trust God in something specific. Maybe we're holding on to it and maybe we're just an, uh, giving you an encouragement to give it into God's hands. Um, or maybe, as the scripture said, some of those scat sheep were scattered and felt alone. And I felt maybe if you're needing encouragement to take a step closer so that you can be part of and not separate. So um, I just encourage you this morning to take a step closer to God. Thanks, Janine. Thank you. Let's stand.